How to be faithful and inclusive. A discussion around the Bible, sexuality, and the United Methodist Church with Reverend Rob Fuquay on episode number five of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Sometimes our theology and our bit and our understanding of scriptural authority and interpretation has has kind of shaped itself around what our what our political and ideological narratives are. Uh, and then we bring in the bring in the as, as I had a professor used to say, we, we bring in the scripture kicking and screaming to fit our own stories. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Bishop Tremble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Tremble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Hello, good people. Welcome to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. This is the podcast where we look to connect up with leaders in the church in order to bring an encouraging word to a discouraged world. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. It's my pleasure to be your co-host today. And uh, Bishop uh, Tremble, uh, welcome to our podcast. And we have a very special guest with us today. Hey, welcome, everybody. And we, yes, we have a special guest Reverend Rob Fuquay, one of my favorite preachers and pastors uh, from St. Luke's United Methodist Church. And so welcome, Rob, and good, uh, to Brad, to be back with you as well. Well, thank you, Brad. Always good to be with you and uh, great to be with you, Bishop Trimble. Thank you for inviting me to share with you today. You're providing such uh, significant leadership to Indiana right now, which we are now year two into this pandemic crisis and all the other crises that we've had. And uh, I'm just grateful for Thanks, what Rob. you're doing. Well, that's uh, awesome. And this kind of set the context what we want to talk about today. Bishop, you had an interesting experience at one of uh, our United Methodist churches in Bloomington, Indiana, recently, where some uh, a resource that Rob was involved with was, was brought up. And can you just kind of set the context of what we want to uh, talk about here a little bit today based on that experience? Sure, sure, Brett. A lot of people in the United Methodist Church and even outside of our our denomination or our tribe, if you will, know that we've been on a long, protracted, decades-old uh, discussion around uh, what it means to be a more inclusive church, uh, and particularly with a lot of discussion around the authority of Scripture, human sexuality, and the Bible. Uh, and there are people who have been harmed by the church, people who have been welcomed by the church, and people who have just felt frustrated by uh, the inability of uh, uh, the United Methodist Church uh, to really come to come to a place where we can say that we really are welcoming of all people. 
you know, we had for a while the, 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 the campaign of open doors, open hearts, open minds, and, uh, and some have challenged whether or not that is really true. So I had an experience a couple of weeks ago where I was preaching at one of our congregations in Bloomington, and afterwards there were several class, class opportunities uh, to meet after worship uh, uh, class discussions, and I joined. This was the second week they were having a discussion around a resource that Rob has produced around human sexuality and the Bible. Uh, I was blessed to be seated at a table with some students from Indiana University. Uh, I think, think that's your alma mater, uh, Dr. Dr. Brad Miller. But uh, um, no, you went to Evansville. I'm, I'm, af- <laughs> I'm afraid now. I'm a U- University, University of Evansville. Evansville. Yeah, my, but I did. I, I do have a son who just graduated from there. I, I knew some of your ago. money went to Indiana University. Yeah. So no, definitely yes. <laughs> yeah. Sir. So so I was sitting with some students who were from from IU and and the, and the church is you know right up the street from the university and. Uh, these are some. These were students who were no. They weren't members of the congregation, but they came uh, out of, I think, a hunger to hear more, uh, uh, more about the Bible and human sexuality and where the church was and and if there were was a was a different perspective than when some of them had a, had experienced a much more less than welcoming interpretation of just a few passages of scripture. So I, I left feeling that. Uh, this was a resource, uh, certainly worth uh, more people having an opportunity to, to access and wanting to have an opportunity to hear from Rob around maybe why why he, he uh, engaged in this uh, uh, project and also uh, if he could share with, with, the, with our podcast audience some of the things that he's been able to share through the videos in terms of how we looked at scripture and maybe some of the things we have not really paid attention to. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm very honored. When you told me that about the group uh, in Bloomington, I, I was tremendously honored because that's partly why we put this resource together. And it came about from the St. Louis conference in 2019. And I came back to St. Luke's, shared about what happened. And of course, the, the reaction uh, was varied in terms of people just wanting to understand what's happening in the church right now. Why is this going on? And um, how are we to understand scripture? So in May of 2019, we did a three-week class here at St. Luke's, and we had over 350 people each week packing out our uh, great hall, our gymnasium room. And the word got out. It got out in the community about this. And uh, I just wanted to do a series in which we looked at the few, it's not many, seven passages in the Bible that deal with homosexuality, same-sex attraction, uh, uh, matters in the in the scriptures, and how might we understand these differently from uh, traditional interpretation? And the aim of this was not to say traditionalists are wrong. That was not the purpose at all. It was to say that people who interpret them differently might not be wrong. So we looked at what the Old Testament says. We looked at what the New Testament says. We looked at what would be perhaps a Jesus ethic. And interpreting scripture. And then mixed in with all of this is what the United Methodist Church believes about how we interpret scripture. So we really wanted it to be informative. And to my surprise, a number of people who came to that were folks from other churches, not just Methodist churches, but people who heard we were doing this. And 
a number of people just said they were grateful because they couldn't find a place where this is being discussed. And a, and a key factor in it, I think there were two pieces to it that made it, it made it transformative for some folks. We had a lot of table uh, engagement, a discussion at the tables where people were talking with folks who are gay, who have children who are gay or transgender, and it just gave them a chance to learn and understand better from a firsthand perspective. Um, and then we, we also had testimonies from people sharing about their experience as a gay Christian in the church and somebody who wants to be a full part of the church and how, how have they experienced uh, obstacles in, in the way for that in the past and uh, parents of gay children and what has been their experience and people who are affirming and have always struggled with having friends in the church who just think differently than them. I think those were the real transformative pieces. So we put this together in the DVD format and tried to maintain some of those transformative pieces where in the video you have a, a breakout time to be in conversation and then you, you hear some of the testimonies. So that was the goal of it. Well, I was thinking, Rob, for those who, who, who may not have uh, had an opportunity to hear any of the any of the DVD tapes, uh, would you be willing just to share what are what are a couple of the scriptures that people kind of maybe they, they, they've only been exposed to in, in other ways to look at look at those passages of scripture, as sure. well as sometimes we say, you know, well, the Bible says it that that settles it. Uh, if, if we really took that literally, wouldn't we be in trouble with some other passages of Scripture? Uh, right, right, right. So the Old Testament passages we look at, Genesis 19, and even though we don't delve into Judges 19, we talk about how those stories are so similar, we, we have likelihood to believe they came from the same origin. So we look at the Sodom and Gomorrah story, Judges, or I'm sorry, Genesis 19. And what I invite people to do is to read it and do their own homework. Just what stands out to you about this story? What's every little detail about it? When you start pulling out these details, people begin to think, well, maybe it's not just about, um, you know, condemning homosexuality. And then we start to look at the cultural issues around hospitality at the time, even the word itself that is used for the men of the town saying to Lot, send these guests of yours, these men out here so that we may have sex with them. Uh, the Hebrew word for that is used 943 times in the Old Testament. Only a handful of times, 10 or less, is it used in a sexual way and in each of those references, a heterosexual way. So the vast majority, over 900 times, the word is used for get acquainted with. Get acquainted with. You put together all the pieces around hospitality. The uh, strong statement of Lot who says, do not harm these men. They have come under the protection of my roof, he says. You have to look at this in a way that says, perhaps this is not about uh, a condemnation of same-sex behavior. Maybe something bigger is going on. Then we look at the holiness code passages that talk about uh, an abomination of a man who lives with a man as with a woman. 
and we look at other things that are called abominations in the holiness code, things like eating shellfish, mixing seeds and fabrics, eating meat uh, that was left over from a sacrifice, um, not eating meat that's been cooked in its mother's milk. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute now. You're going, you're going from preaching to meddling now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, well, you know, I'm just the messenger, just the messenger. Yeah. But the point is, you start putting all of that together and you go, okay, if, if same-sex behavior, and, and then even then it says a man who lies with a man. Well, what happened to a woman who lies with a woman? That's not mentioned. You start getting into the cultural taboos of male dominance and what that's about in the Old Testament. Uh, you put it alongside the other things that are called an abomination in the holiness code. And, he, and then go one step further. Look at the abominations or the practices that were punishable by death. There's no debate. Leviticus clearly says that this is punishable by death. Listen to what else is. Disobeying one's parents. Oh, I think that takes care of most youth running around our churches. Working on the Sabbath. Practicing wizardry. Well, I guess that takes care of all of those who went to Harry Potter movies. Um, taking the Lord's name in vain, adultery. So interestingly, Jesus dealt with several of those and not in any way a condemning fashion. Disobeying one's parents. He told a, product, a story about a prodigal son whose father ran to him, perhaps to protect him from the villagers who would want to uphold the law. Um, you know, he clearly gave examples of, of uh, going against the legal precepts of, you know, no work on the Sabbath. So you start putting it now against the example of Jesus and what's done in the New Testament, even against the other similar references to taboos and abominations in the Holiness Code. You say, all right, the, the Old Testament is not super clear. Um, then you go to the New Testament. And there's a lot of murkiness there. There are a couple of words used by Paul for same-sex behavior, arsenokoitai and malakoi. Arsenokoitai is a combination of two Greek words that means male and bed, male bed. And scholars, when they cannot uh, find a word <clears throat> in the New Testament, that is used in other places in scripture, then they look around the culture at other writings of the period to try to find where is this word used elsewhere so we might understand it. This is a word that's not used anywhere. You know, for all we know, Paul made up the word. We typically translate it homosexuality. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9, um, do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites is how it's translated NIV. Thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So that sodomites goes back to the Genesis story. Um, male homosexuality. But when you start looking at the wider context of what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you realize the verses preceding that, he's talking about the wrongdoing in general that people show against each other. 
the mistreatment of human beings against human beings. Then you put it in the context of Corinth itself. High above the city was Acrocorinth, where there was a, uh, a temple to Aphrodite, and it was a temple of prostitution. And there were male prostitutes as well as female prostitutes. Typically, young boys were there as slaves who were being mistreated. And in all likelihood, this is what Paul is reacting against. So I could go on and on. Would, with that, other would that include uh, the Romans texts? That's one that people like to. People really like to. No, they really like to go. Yeah, with Romans one, you know, the guilt of humankind. It's spelled out right there. You know, they were given over to unnatural. Right. How do how do we? That's Paul again, though. That's right, and he's talking about um, what is natural and not natural, and the way in which God created the order for the world and for humankind. And, you know, you start to get down to, okay, if it's, if it is about the way a person is created and our sexual identity and understanding who we are, there was not a concept of homosexuality in terms of identity. It was simply looked at as behavior and a, a popular appearance of the behavior would have been from an exploitive concept, not in terms of identity. In fact, the word homosexuality period did not come about until the middle of the 19th century in the English language. So it's, it's a fairly modern word that we leapfrog a thousand plus years to apply it to a scriptural reference that, uh, again, might not mean the same thing. So even in the Romans passage, it's very clear. I think at the end of the day, you could say Paul himself perhaps had an issue about homosexuality that he was against. OK, let's let, let's give you that. Let's say, OK, uh, Paul's not here to give us his own testimony on the topic. Let's just say that's where Paul was. We do have statements of Paul expressing his opinion on other matters that we don't adhere by. <laughs> we, we, we somehow just disregard, or at least for a lot of Methodists today, this hadn't always been the case, Paul's statement about women not being in leadership in church, that they shouldn't speak, that they should stay quiet and go home and let their husbands teach them. <laughs> um, we have no problem today going, okay, that was Paul's opinion. That doesn't represent who the church should be and the values of Jesus. Um, if we take a stand against concepts of slavery today, we do not have Paul's support. Paul said very clearly, slaves obey your masters. That was Paul's opinion, trying to keep peace. And we would say, you know, that doesn't hold up today. At least many should feel that way. So, again, it's just really about the inconsistencies of, of what we have treated in some places in the Bible and hold on to firmly and literally in other places. And so, you know, that's not a congruent way of treating Scripture. And I like what Walter Brueggemann said one time. He was talking specifically about the Sodom and Gomorrah story because in other references to that story in the Bible, 
it doesn't condemn homosexuality. And his point was, regardless of how we might disagree on whether the Sodom and Gomorrah story is about the sin of homosexuality, one thing's very clear. The Bible doesn't agree on it. And I think that's simply how we're trying to treat the Old and New Testament on these references to homosexuality. There's not a lot of congruence on things that we say are important moral values to hold on to in the church today. And somewhere in this, we have to look at, at the life and the teachings of Jesus as our guide and how we interpret yeah, and I want to really get to that in just a second here, because Jesus is really the focus. A lot of what uh, Bishop talks about and being encouraging others is focusing on Jesus. But I am interested in, in just as, how it just seems like matters of context and culture and, you know, selective application of scriptures are all very important here. And there are also nuances in language, you know, from the Hebrew and the Greek to English that are all, all factors here. And it seems to me that's that's re really an open door to kind of misuse and even abuse of the scriptures towards real people. Bishop or Rob, do you, do you agree with that or help me understand where we're coming from, how this resource might help us on that? Say that again, Brad, that uh, well, I just think, you know, that we misuse scripture. Well, I just think uh, the context and the culture, our present culture and the, the biblical context are some things we don't have a clear understanding with, at least on the context part of things, because there's nuances in language and so on like that. And therefore, the uh, interpretation from many different directions of the scripture can then be used kind of a, as a hammer or leverage uh, against people. And uh, I just think this is an important piece here. I, I, I'm speaking on my own experience here, to be honest with you. I have We, we mentioned uh, earlier about my son uh, graduating from Indiana University two years ago. He's a gay young man, and uh, he went there and with an open mind towards the churches he was invited to attend there. And these are, you know, very, you know, uh, uh, churches that are geared towards college students and so on. Invited by his high school friends, he gets there and, you know, supposed to be open minded and they promote that and so on. But all of a sudden, it's basically what he termed, termed basically a bait and switch kind of thing where they hammered him with scripture and he was condemned. And so I have a heart, and, and Brian, right now, be honest with you, he really has no use for a church, United Methodist, or anybody's church out of that experience. So I would, I just kind of want you to speak to that a little bit, of how scripture has been uh, manipulated in this issue to be uh, misused, I believe, and sometimes hurtful. Well, I, I think Bishop Trimble uh, could speak to this even more powerfully because he has been engaged in ministry settings uh, different from my own and has a lot of experience in, in what has happened. I just think quickly about how in history you look at periods of time when important social issues were going on and some who wanted to resist any change and how we treat certain people. You would have a period of time where there was an emphasis on passages of the Bible that later on, they're just not focused on as highly. During uh, the civil rights and prior, there would have been passages of Genesis and other parts of the Bible used that would, you know, people would have stood on those to say, this is why the races must be kept separate. And they would have hammered the, the curse of Ham in the in uh, the book of Genesis. I mean, it's, it gets kind of silly when you look at it. Um, 
you know, in a period where we said, you know, what happens if a person gets divorced? My goodness, the Bible in the Gospel of Mark seems clear. And, you know, we can't allow people to stay in ministry if this happens to them, or we can't marry people in the church if they've been divorced. Well, you would have had a lot of hammering on those passages. Somehow we moved through it. I think the same thing is going to happen with this. We, you see the current happening. And I think folks who get fearful of that change, they lock down harder and louder. And that's why we hear this right now. And I believe the day is going to come quicker than we imagine that all of a sudden there's going to be a turn. And churches that were pounding the pulpit saying this is wrong will all of a sudden have a revelation that says um, we think it's okay now. (laughs) And they'll be the ones who feel like they came up with the idea. Well, I, I want to say, I want to say, yeah, I want to say, Brad. First of all, I, I, uh, I want your son to know that that God loves him. There's nothing we can do about it, or the church can do that to void that declaration. God is unambigu- unambiguous about God's love for all people, the way God made them. So, uh, I think our our book of discipline and many churches have have got it right and got it wrong in the same book. So, you know, I think we, we've got it right when we say, you know, every person is of sacred worth. Uh, and then we've got it wrong when we say that, you know, homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, because then we would have to take Christ out of that teaching, I think. And I think the good part of where the whole thing that Rob, that the video series in terms of love ethic, maybe hopefully, Rob, you could speak to that before we run out of time, the whole issue, how important the love ethic is. But I, but but it pains me to hear a, a bit, Brad, the story because that's kind of what I felt when I was seated seated at the table in Bloomington with students who who weren't weren't in the church, but they came to church for that conversation because they, their understanding of God was not consistent with maybe what they had, had experienced in some churches, and sometimes when we do harm, and, and our general rules are to do no harm, to, to do good. And to stay in love with God, the God who has already said unapologetically, consistently that that God loves you the way that you are, and God has created you the way that you are. So I think I think we you know we can we can get things wrong, uh, and um, and and we need to be willing to say, you know, God God help us to get things right so they can be right right in your right in your sight. I mean, I mean the the whole case of loving versus Virginia. The Supreme Court case where, where you know, persons of, uh, of two races, a, a black person and a white person couldn't get married. A lot of that was justified, not just in Virginia or other southern states, but through the church. You know, well, you know, the, the Bible says that, you know, that tribes should not be in a, in a marry outside of the tribe. So the same thing with slavery, the same thing with apartheid in South Africa. Sometimes our theology and our and our understanding of scriptural authority and interpretation has has kind of shaped itself around what our what our political and ideological narratives are uh, and then we bring in the bring in the as, as i had a professor used to say we we bring in the scripture kicking and screaming to fit our own stories <laughs> oh my one of the things i wanted to sh- share this brad was uh, a, a piece from Dr. Cheryl Anderson from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. And I, I used this last year doing a Bible study for the Northern Illinois Conference. And it's around the question of biblical authority. And I'd love to hear you, Brad, and, 
and Rob speak on that. And, and she had two statements that I utilized that I thought were very helpful for me. The first was around the question of biblical authority. Some have said that the United Methodist churches, this was it, this is part of the core of what's been behind it. People say, well, it's not that I have anything against anybody who's who's LGBTQ uh, plus, but 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 I'm just for the Bible. Uh, so she says that she has two statements the, around biblical authority. Statement one goes something like this. The Bible is literally the word of God. Scripture consists of the writings that were inspired by God, if not actually dictated by God to the biblical writers. The community of faith is to submit to biblical authority. Biblical interpretation is divine, expressing the will of God, not of human beings. So that's one. So some people fall into that camp. The second statement she had was that creating scripture, creating scripture is a human activity that take place that takes place within communities of faith. Inspiration applies not only to the origin of the text, but to its transmission and interpretation among us. The Bible is inherently the live word or the lived word of God, which recognizes that it's divine communication, that it is divine communication that has been refracted through many different authors who spoke from their own circumstances. Biblical authority is exercised in community rather than over it. And the community of faith's participation is called for rather than its submission, which I really like that. Biblical interpretation is contextual and necessarily influenced by the human beings who do it. Uh, there is no such thing, I remember a professor said, no such thing as, as objective scriptural uh, exegesis or <laughs> interpretation. You know, there, there, un, there's nothing that's totally unbiased. Uh, and I like to say, you know, I always say that, you know, the Bible, I, I see the Bible, the Bible can be reliable without reading it as literal or infallible. So I think scripture, when people ask me, well, what do I think about scripture? I say, well, I think the Bible, I find the Bible to be reliable and I, I find it to be reliable, but it doesn't have to be infallible or or I don't have to read everything it's literal. Some of it's poetry, some of it's hymns, some of it's questions for us to ponder and 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 some of it's it's wisdom and story storytelling. So it's still, it's still the divine, inspired word of God, but we worship the God of the Bible, not the Bible uh, itself. So uh, I don't know, am I off base with some of that? Maybe you guys help me out. I'm still learning. My, my, my quick my quick take on it before Rob goes is just it's, it's, it's an active, continual community part of our lives rather than the Bible being just an, a, a, you know, an archive of something that happened that we apply now. It's an active, uh, dynamic, organic uh, piece of our lives. Yeah, I mean, part of what makes it living is the way it speaks to what we are experiencing and going through today. And when you bring people together, we've all had the experience. You, you, you're studying a passage of scripture in a group and somebody says, this is what I hear going on in that. And this is what I and I've been in that context so many times where I say, you know, that, that's a brilliant insight. And I wish I would have had it. And uh, that what what you're saying there is truth, almost as if in that moment, that's all there is to believe about that passage. That person just summed it up and that's it. And then. 
later on. Here's another insight to it. The same story. I mean, we've all had that, haven't we? We've gone to events where somebody preaches a passage. We have all preached. And yet they bring something out of it that speaks to the moment. And we go, how have I never seen that before? And to me, that is the power of Scripture. But, boy, if, if you have to keep the Scripture in an airtight jar, I think we miss a lot of its power. It's, it's about the way it still breathes fresh life to us today in that kind of a context. So, you know, when the, 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 the opposite of this that kind of drives me crazy, and it's part of the reason we did this resource, is people who, because the Bible is very clear on aspects like homosexuality, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, the Bible is antiquated, and it's not relevant to my life today, so I don't want to hear about the Bible. And I told about the woman at the playground who um, met a woman who doesn't come to church that often. She she uh, was on Easter Sunday at our church the year in 2019 when we were announcing we were going to do this study. So later after that event, she meets one of our uh, mothers on the playground and says, when did St. Luke's change its stand? She goes, what are you talking about? She goes, I always thought it was an open community. Well, we are. She said, well, I don't get it. I heard Rob say we were going to do a study on what the Bible says about homosexuality. The Bible is really clear. I thought if we're going to love and welcome gay people in our church, we can't follow the Bible. And I was like, wow. (laughs) We have got to do some education about the Bible because I believe in the Bible. I believe in Scripture. I believe what Wesley said. It, It is It is the source above the others, and it is our primary source for grounding our faith and connection to God. We don't substitute that with anything else. So my passion in looking at these passages is not to throw them out and and to bring the, the Bible into question. It's to understand what does the Scripture really say to us and what does it mean for us. So that's just a passion of mine. What are we... Yeah, what do we say about the love ethic of Jesus? I was going to say. Well, I didn't collect all the verses that we look at in that uh, in that session, but we look at a number of places where Jesus contradicts not just ancient law, but the interpretation of ancient law. So, you know, Jesus said, not one period or comma will be changed from this law that will be fulfilled in me. And yet he does things that because of interpretation put on the law, the tradition of the elders, that it makes Jesus look as if he's, he's ignoring or uh, denying what the law means. And so we look at those in the context in which Jesus speaks and, and try to draw out what is Jesus after? What is his real emphasis and of course, in most of these, it's relationship. It's uh, it's people that matter, and God's concern for the well-being of people. So, law never gets in the way of God's compassion for the well-being of all of God's children. And I think that's what comes out when we look at the Jesus ethic of understanding Scripture, uh, understanding what does it mean in terms of conveying that ultimate truth about God. Yeah. I, I like to quote Pope Francis, and I don't know if he's the first one to say it, but he said, God has a name, and God's name is love. See, at the end, end of the day, uh, when we think of 
Jesus, the incarnation, the, the, the word become flesh, that word that becomes flesh is, is literally is love. And that, uh, you know, the, the same same Jesus who said no, no, no word, no, nothing would be changed uh, also says what, you know, that uh, the man was not man was not made for the Sabbath. Uh, uh, Sabbath was you know, made for the man that, that, you know, one can do work even on it. If you need to help somebody and it's the Sabbath, uh, does he not do that? Heal someone. Uh, so all of these all of these things that that we want to disqualify each other for. Uh, we find that Jesus is saying it's, as you said, Rob, about community and relationship. And love is uh, is the focus here. And I think that's a good place for us to begin to bring us around here, to focus here and to kind of conclude this conversation as we're kind of running out of time here. But uh, Bishop and Rob, um, is there any kind of final word you might want to say about this matter and this issue, especially we're talking about love here, in terms of how it can be focused in on that those people who sat around that table with you in Bloomington a few weeks ago, Bishop, how I can speak to their real life situation and how we can, uh, hopefully the church can begin to turn away from that place that Rob, you mentioned was completely kind of, kind of an, an antithesis of what the one person anticipated to be about, but how can this resource or other things we do speak to this matter to the people around that table? You know, my message to a couple of people would be this to those who um, would find themselves in more of a traditional camp, and holding on to scripture and feel that if I, if I think differently about these passages, I am denying my commitment to biblical truth. And just to encourage the idea that that might not be the case. That does not have to mean that. And if we just look at other passages of the Bible that we don't tend to live by literally, there are places that somehow we've been able to get beyond that and not say that we're getting beyond our commitment to biblical truth, that that could be the case. The other comment for people who have been shunned by the church over these passages that have become weapons, just to understand not all Christian communities believe that. And I do believe there is a big tidal current change going on in Christendom that is coming to a place of greater acceptance. But we know from history that significant shifts like that do not occur overnight. And at the end of the day, what's important is, is not where the church is. It's where God is with us and what God is doing with us and through us and to stay connected to God, ideally in a community. But it, yes, it does need to be a community where you feel valued and accepted. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, Rob. And I want to, uh, Bishop, to give you the last word. You're being encouraged. We're here, here in a second. But I did want people to know how they can get a hold of this resource. The resource is called Faithful and Inclusive, The Bible, Sexuality, and the United Methodist Church. And it is available. Um, Rob, I know that's available through the Richard and Julia Wilkie Institute for Discipleship. Is that the best way for peeps? That's right. Or if, if uh, anybody wanted to reach out to me, here at St. Luke's, uh, they just need to go to our website, uh, stlukesumc.com, um, just the straight letters, stlukesumc.com, and uh, make contact to us here and call us or email, 
and then we can send the links to be able to get the... It's also available at uh, cokesbury.com, and we'll put links to all of this. We'll put links to all of this at our website, uh, tobeencouraged.com. Bishop, I want to always like to for you to have the final word. The, the emphasis of our podcast is an encouraging word. What out of our conversation today can you lend and give to our folks as an encouraging word? Thank you, Brad. I think people are always looking for a sign. And uh, if there are some things I'm not clear about, I'm not certain about. Uh, I remember getting a letter from someone who was criticizing something, and I just basically wrote them back and said, you probably are right, you know, I, because I know I could be wrong. But if someone's listening to this podcast or sees this podcast and you, you've been looking for a sign, you know, this may be your sign that God loves you. God loves you. And there's nothing the church can do that will change that. We're hoping that you will find a place, a, a spirit place to call your spiritual home. And it may not be in a United Methodist church. It it may not even be in a in a traditional church, but I think all of us hunger for real community and real relationships. And I just wanted you to know that maybe this is your sign. You are loved in the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, we want you to know that to be encouraged. Thank you for sharing that, and that's a great place for us to conclude our conversation today. And you've been listening to the To Be Encouraged podcast. With Bishop Julius C. Treble and today's special guest has been Reverend Rob Fuquay. Thank you for joining us. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen to Be Encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast, where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julia C. Trimple. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tribble and never forget, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it.